Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. I have with me today Brent Williams, who is an associate dean here in the Walton College and a professor of supply chain management. He has been doing research on forecasting and inventory management for many years, especially within the consumer packaged goods and retail context. Um, And he has uh, published many papers on forecasting that are published in top journals. And he works with many companies on uh, forecasting as well. Brent, thank you for for joining me. Thanks for having me, Matt. So, Brent, um, you know, I know early on you did some, your dissertation looked at forecasting orders from retailers, which is kind of a, you'd think that would be easy. You Mm -hmm. could just look at the orders and use a traditional time series method and forecast the orders, Mm -hmm. but then with the idea of bullwhip that's come in, this idea that, um, you know, uncertainty gets amplified as it moves up the supply chain, the thought always was, well, we should forecast at the POS level, the point of sale level, there's less uncertainty there. But your dissertation sort of showed that neither are correct, that there's something in between mm-hmm. that's correct. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right. And that was at a, at a time where point-of-sale data in retail had been available for probably a decade. Um, but, but there was a real effort to learn how could we integrate that data stream upstream into the forecasting processes. And you're spot on. Uh, the, the approach before that is take shipment data or order data, uh, use a model, and, you know, it was inaccurate um, to some degree. And, and so the question is, is it inaccurate within the bounds that you're okay with as the forecaster, as the manager. Um, but as POS data became became available, you're right, it has less variability in it. Uh, so the thought is, well, it must then be a better predictor. And in some cases, that's right, right? We found that uh, in many cases, that's correct. Not always, though. Um, so, so the thought that spurred the research was, well, what if you could use both? Um, and so the research at the time focused on integrating both demand signals, the order signal and the POS signal, into a single model. Um, there was also another fairly interesting piece to that. It, it was, again, this is really simple stuff if you, if you think back, you know, at this point. Um, but one of the other one of the other questions that people always had about forecasting orders from a retailer, if you're a consumer packaged goods company, is well, doesn't the amount of inventory held by the retailer affect the forecast? And the answer is yes. The problem was, well, how do you get reliable data on that? Right. And so people were always thinking about, well, well, you know, is the is the inventory data that a retailer might give me if I'm a supplier, they may or may not give it to me. If I got it, is it accurate? Um, the, the I think the little insight from that research was, 
maybe I don't care so much about the actual level, how much, maybe I don't care about how much inventory the retailer has. What I care about within a given period is how much did it change? Um, and if you think about orders and sales, right, or POS data and order data, they represent the inflow orders of inventory and the outflow sales of inventory. So in the model, by taking, by using the difference of those, we were actually able to account for, to have a measure of how inventory changed in it by using those two signals. Well, I know you've uh, had many other studies on inventory and forecasting as well, and you teach it um, both mm-hmm. through executive education and in four-credit courses here at the university. But but what I'd like to talk to you about a little bit today is just forecasting in general, and we'll look at some of the specific topics you've covered, but I wanted to talk about how disruptions that are occurring in industry and in technology might affect forecasting in the future and where forecasting needs to occur? Mm-hmm. Well, what I would speculate uh, is that, you know, um, I think technology, I think artificial intelligence, as an example, um, will have an effect. Uh, but even if you just think about, if you think about even more simple than that, um, you know, when I mentioned the research that you and I were doing a decade ago, um, we were at that point integrating two signals into the forecast. Um, well, now with the computer power. And the two signals were shipment data and POS data. That's correct. But many other things affect the forecast, right? Um, if you're, the weather, uh, just as an example. Uh, we talked about inventory. Uh, but there, there's a myriad of these factors. The day of the week. The, day the of time the week, of the day. Right. So what's happening in social media? Right. At the time, how is that affecting a specific the sales of a specific product? All right. Well, that's where the opportunity really lies now. Right. To start to integrate multiple signals, I think, into into a forecast to continue to make it more accurate. Um, Now, um, I I think that I I think uh, so. I think that's where we will see forecasting continue to go. That's been the trend for quite some time. You know, when you think about forecasting, too. There are times you need to forecast, and there's times you need to affect the forecast. In other words, I can take all of the givens as being exogenous. I mean, exogenous meaning they're they're not in my control. But in some cases, I can actually affect them. I mean, the most obvious one is price. If I Mm -hmm. really want sales to increase, sometimes I can just simply decrease the price and I'll sell more. That's right. Or, you know, you could push it harder on social media or in advertising or, you know, change your display strategy. Um, If you think about a sales and operations planning process, that's part of that decision process at the end of the uh, SNOP process, right? Is that um, if I have a gap, you know, where, you know, I'm expecting to have more capacity than I have demand, then I may choose to stimulate demand. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, there's different levels of forecasting. Your your comment about sales and operations planning made me think of this. If you're trying to forecast sales for a company for next year, mm-hmm. annual sales, 
you can do a fairly good job of that. But if you say, let's let's take Walmart, for example. Suppose you want to forecast sales for next year for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you could take several years of historical, several quarters of historical data and forecast it. But if you wanted to forecast bags of Purina dog food are going to sell in the super center in Fayetteville off of Joyce Street on Thursday of next week, that's going to be very difficult. You, mm-hmm. you could be way off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, you're right. What a seemingly insurmountable challenge to do that. But in many cases in, in our supply chain, we're challenged with doing that. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about millions of forecasts that have to be generated. You know, and I wonder, um, I kind of wonder, the reason I brought up the ability to, to change things, I think that in the future, we're going to have forecasting systems that are not only looking at what's happening and trying to project forward, but they're also using artificial intelligence to flip switches, so to speak, hmm. to start affecting it. In other words, yeah, we we want to sell this many. This is the range we want to be in. And so you could, for example, I conceivably have social media, including Google ads, Facebook ads, et cetera, et cetera, where the system is monitoring sales across the country, monitoring inventory levels, and you're saying, hey, we need to sell this inventory down. And then they could they could all of a sudden start utilizing social media ads and say, well, where is this working? Where is it not? Where should mm-hmm. we put more investment? Mm-hmm. I think maybe in the future it's going to be more holistic mm-hmm. and dynamic. Rather than today make a forecast and then start making business decisions based on that forecast. Yeah, I really think it's going to be more experimental. I mean, you know, I've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I think inventory management and forecasting in the future are going to be completely integrated. And it's going to be less about applying these models we've been teaching for years and more about experimentation, mm-hmm. where you're in real time changing things, you know. And and I, you still do need to understand the forecasting models because even if you experiment and you get to steady state where you're optimizing yep you still have to forecast that's right and i think i think that's a really good point you know um the fundamentals still are important yes um and but 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 as you said you know what things are affecting the other things um understanding well how do you measure that how do you know that um, I think those are some really important things. We continue to teach those things. So we do continue to teach the models. I think they're important. Um, I think, one, the, you know, we do also have to think about the level of investment required to access the kind of technology right now that we're talking about. It's a large investment. Um, and lots of companies aren't going to make that investment right now. Uh, so you know, some of the fundamentals continue to be important. You know, the other thing I think is... Um it seems to me that people still need to understand the broad supply chain logistics concepts. Because I think there's a lot of uh, people who are actually doing forecasting for operational purposes that don't understand the interactions between, say, inventory turns, Mm -hmm. days of supply, 
gross margin return on inventory investment, and even return on investment. How does this all work together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important as well. Um, I think having a foundation that says, if if I make this business decision, um, as it relates to forecasting or inventory management or logistics decisions, um, ultimately, how does that roll up to the financial metrics that the company is focused on? I think that's critical for anybody in one of those roles to be able to, at minimum, to be able to tell that story. Um, when they make decisions, um, how does it ultimately roll up and affect financial metrics? Yeah, and and really just understanding what is it they're forecasting. If they're forecasting demand, hmm. people need to understand the components they of, do. of demand. And what are those components from a forecasting perspective? When, when I think about it, I think the first ones that come to mind is the level. You know, sort of think about it as the base demand. Um, but then we, we tend to take take a given piece of sales data and try to, lack of a better word, pull it apart, right? You know, I mean, when I think about it graphically, that's the way I think about it, where there's a base demand, there's trend, you know, so are sales growing, are they declining over time? And then, of course, you know, you mentioned uh, day of the week or, you know, um, weather. We mentioned those things and we're in some way they're alluding to seasonality, uh, which is another component of demand. Some of the other things that, Managers are often really interested in are things like outliers, uh, lumpiness in data. You know, so take outliers. The question often is, well, is this spike or is this large decrease? Is that an outlier? Um, is it an anomaly? Is there a business reason for it? Should I include it in my forecast going forward? Those are still important questions that managers are, are grappling with. You know, and I I think, too, if I'm forecasting the demand for bottled water Mm -hmm. at um, an e-commerce site, suppose I'm an e-commerce retailer, and people are crazy enough to order bottled water that way, (laughs) the transportation costs would be high. But let's suppose they do that. Forecasting that is very different than forecasting the demand for, say, Halloween costumes. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, bottled water is something that is ongoing. You're always going to have demand for bottled water. Mm -hmm. But you're only going to have demand for, well, 99% of your demand for Halloween costumes will be before Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting example. Right. So it is more, I think it's more challenging that the Halloween example. Um, I think an even more challenging example of that might be, let's imagine um, cold and flu medications that you buy over the counter. Um, well, you and I, we both know that that's driven the, the, the initial increase in sales for a given season is going to be driven by when people start getting sick. Um, and that's not always perfectly predictable. Right. Uh, various factors are affecting that. The weather's probably affecting that. Um, so the effectiveness of the flu. Exactly. Uh, vaccine. Exactly. Right. So that's an example of, you know, you're going to have most of your demand within a given period of time, a pretty short period of time. The real challenge is you don't know exactly when that's going to stop. You also don't know going into a season. Um, you don't know how long that that 
that season is going to persist and how strong the demand is going to be. Uh, is, the, is this going to be a really bad flu season? Is it going to be a moderate flu season? Uh, so that's an even more challenging in my mind, um, seasonal business to forecast. You know, you might, it's easy for someone to think, okay, well, all of this artificial intelligence is coming out. Why will people need to understand forecasting? But I don't believe, I don't believe that there's ever going to be a time people can be completely divorced of understanding forecasting. Because what happens is, if you just use mathematical models, you wind up fitting, overfitting them, hmm. right? That's the problem right now. You, you wind up, you take a historical data set. If you have a polynomial that is high enough degree, you can fit it perfectly, mm-hmm. any data set. Mm-hmm. And it's going to do terrible than just using the average, Mm-hmm. going forward. Yes, yeah, so you're going to fit it really well within what we would call the in-sample data. Yes. And then once you get in the out-of-sample or the future, if you will, it's not going to perform as well. Yeah. I speculate with all this talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning and cognitive computing, that there's going to be a lot of people fall for false claims mm. about what software can do and what technology can do to forecast. This is why I think, I know I keep going back to this, I think that's why still understanding the fundamentals are important, right? I feel like when you have that base of knowledge, you can make these judgments or at least a more informed opinion on how, you know, a particular software system is going to perform for your business if you understand how these things work. You know, it could be as simple as really understanding well, how does a regression model work? And how do you put causal variables into that in a way that's going to predict sales? Um, Understanding those basics just give you enough insight, I think, to be able to make those judgments. Yeah, that's a good point. I think forecasting, too, is getting more difficult. Hmm. And the reason I say that is that there's, there's several reasons for this. If everyone bought only one kind of car, we could forecast demand on a daily basis fairly accurately. Mm-hmm. We could use a model that looks at trend and seasonality and level, and we could do pretty darn good. But people buy lots of different kinds of cars. And what we see in every industry is a proliferation of variety, mm-hmm. and increasing customization, mm-hmm. you know, um, and all of that makes the forecasting of any one item more complicated. I was listening to something this morning about a new type of shoe I'd never heard of, and um, it's taken off. It's doing, the shoe is doing really well, and so I Googled it. And I found it, and it looks really comfortable, very reasonably priced, and a lot of people have them. Hmm. Um, And I don't know, I want to say they've only been around a short time, and I want to say their sales are like at 50 million or something like that. Um, But they introduced it on the the internet. But, but, But the ability to create a new brand 
and get it out there now is easier. You don't need to be a big company mm-hmm. with a huge advertising budget anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the big brands are constantly going to be seeing more error in their forecasts because they never know when these scrappy little entrepreneurs are going to come up with something that nips at their heels. Yep. Yeah, so you've got the demand spread out over more unique items, SKUs, if you will, more SKUs, stock-keeping units in in the world in general. So you've got the demand spread out over that, and you're probably increasing variability because of that additional variety. Yes. That's right. Hmm, That's a great point. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic.